What the fuck is up, world? Bialy Atlantic back. We back in this bitch. It's been about a motherfucking month now, bro, since my last podcast. <laughs> the recurring joke, it remains the same, okay? But at least this time, I have something of an explanation as to why it's been a month or so. I mean, I've always kind of had an explanation, but now it makes entirely sense to me. It's actually pretty beautiful in a sense because it literally just happened the awakening, if you will. Shout out to the Great Conjunction. Hopefully that's part of the world responsible for it, right? But um, the reasoning is because basically, um, since the last podcast that I've dropped, I've basically just been downloading a bunch of information from the ancestors, homeboy, you know what I mean? And it's taken me a while to be able to properly form these thoughts in such a way that I can, you know, share them and articulate them, and, uh, you know, with you all in hopes of, you know, uh, continuing to spread the message of the importance of indigenization, decolonization, and just overall unity. You know what I'm saying? Unity to quote the Dave Chappelle skit. You know what I mean? Um, anyways, so uh, somewhere in between that downloading of this information, uh, I also got caught up with some other shit work-wise, right? Because I, I realized, I know I mentioned it before in the previous podcast, but I've been neglecting certain parts of the work that's respond, that, I'm, that I'm necessary for while I'm here on this bitch. You know what I mean? Um, and I've been neglecting them, so it's kind of funny because in the in the desire to not neglect them, I wound up neglecting this motherfucker too, this podcast, you know what I'm saying? So the goal for 2021 uh, then is going to be to try to find the balance between the two, right? That's my quote-unquote one of the many quote-unquote New Year's resolutions that I got so that I'm not fucking going a whole, whole ass month without fucking, um, you know, not podcasting. Now, interestingly though, of course, because this idea, this desire to not go the whole month without podcasting also runs parallel to a recurring, another recurring problem that I've mentioned before, and that is that sometimes uh, in, the, in the effort to get out a consistent podcast, I feel like it's pressed, you know what I mean? And the reason why I feel that it's pressed has been revealed to me now, again, is because I don't feel like I've given the proper time necessary in order to fully articulate and develop the ideas that I do inevitably wind up sharing with the podcast, with you all, you know what I mean? So the goal, furthermore, for 2021 is to try to find not just a balance, but also a fucking medium, if you will, where I can contribute gritos if you will these thoughts that i've been having for the entirety of the you know duration between however long it's been since i dropped my last podcast as well as some philosophical knowledge bro because at the heart at the heart of it right i was gonna say the core and the heart and it came out as the whore of it no that's not what i'm trying to say at the core of it all that's the fucking goal of this podcast that's the fucking goal of hood philosophy to liberate the masses right to liberate knowledge well to liberate the masses for sure you know what i mean but for sure hey we gotta crawl before we ball baby um how grandiose what a grandiose fuck i'm not trying to sound grandiose it's just a silly joke that i got caught up in the momentum of, okay um to liberate the knowledge for the masses bro that's what i was trying to fucking say all right um uh to liberate the knowledge from the masses because motherfuck having to rack up tens of thousands of dollars for student loans to learn fucking philosophy dog don't do that okay Listen to my podcast, listen to other philosophy podcasts, read some motherfucking books. But this idea that we have to continue paying these fucking corporations that we call universities money for knowledge and wisdom that should just be given to us from the fucking A1 since day one. You know what I mean? Shout out to the previous podcast that I did, the Hood Philosophy Podcast. They should be teaching this this shit in fucking primary school. You know what I mean? Um, and 
for free, dog. This is not something that should be privileged and guarded to relegated to the rounds of these elite fucks in their privileged little prestigious university with their perfectly little manicured lawns. You know what I'm saying? So somewhere between the whole point that I'm trying to say is that um, the goal for, you know, 2021 moving forward is going to be to try to find that balance between the podcast to be able to drop the gritos, like the shit me just sharing my thoughts that I'm having, but also the fucking philosophical knowledge so that we can avoid not having to pay or we can avoid rather having to pay extraordinary amounts of money for wisdom and knowledge that should be given to us fucking for free to ensure that we go on to live happy, better, fulfilled lives, not just as individual people, but collectively as society as a whole, dog. I know I've said it before. This is the grito part of the podcast, right? And I'll get into the philosophy part here in a little bit. Um, but I know I've said it before, but it bears repeating infinitely many times over. If you haven't already, follow your boy, OG underscore Ice Nice 13 on the ground. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you, man. That's my shameless plug. Um, but you should definitely do that if you already haven't, right? OG underscore Ice Nice 13 on the ground. But what I'm trying to say is that I've said it before and it bears repeating infinitely many times over. I'm a firm believer in the fact that philosophy can change the world for the better, dog. And that conversely, the lack thereof can harm the world as you know we don't only need look around to say see you know what i mean now does that mean correlation equals causation of course not i'm not gonna go i'm not gonna be that extreme about it but i am saying that we already know uh for the most part what a world is where philosophy isn't being given to us isn't being taught to us you know at a young age in a way that can critically develop you know a critical consciousness a critical a critical public consciousness in a way to elevate the, uh, the humanity, bro, for all peoples. You know what I mean? We're living in it right now. We're fucking enduring still nine months later the results of this fucking world uh, with the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, bro. So all I'm saying is that I'm a firm believer that teaching philosophy, especially at a young age when it can potentially make an impact on people's lives in the future, uh, is is for the betterment of all society, dog. Like, it, it, I really do, okay? Um, and, <laughs> and that's because obviously as an educator, I value education. And... I believe it should be readily available to all. This is something that, you know, I, I that we're fresh off the political season. You know what I mean? Still turmoil, still fucking Trump hasn't given up the presidency or whatever, hasn't conceded the election, but we're deep enough into it now where already the people who voted for the fucking Democrats are starting to see that, yo, this these motherfuckers ain't changing, dog. They're not going to change. They've never had a desire to change. They're basically pandering to our fucking deepest desires and, you know, the deepest desires of such as universal healthcare, universal education, fucking universal basic income. They promise all this shit, but they're not any closer to bringing it, dog, right? For those people who have, you know, already uh, kept up to uh, up to tabs, if you will, with the moves that the Biden administration has made, you'll see that he's bringing in all the same fucking cabinet from the people that came before um, before Trump. You know what I mean? And we're talking about the chicken hawk neoliberals, dog, the fucking people that were on the cabinet of George Bush, of Barack Obama, the people who definitely didn't give us everything that it is that we desire. And to think that they're going to do so moving forward just because we fucking fell victim to this fucking brainwashing that, you know, was put on full effect leading up to the election. And now that we have this Democrat back in office, to think that we're going to finally get all the things that we desired. Nah, dog, it's nonsensical, right? So um, this is where we go back to this part where as an educator, yo, like I still, I, I value education and I want to have the universal education. But given that, you know, you can't just, you can't sit around and wait for the fucking government to give it to you. You can't sit around and wait for the government to create positions for people like myself to fucking get in, you know, and fill those positions to start giving the universal education. You got you to gotta do it yourself. You got to be willing to put boots on the ground. You know what I'm saying? So if you say, if I say shit like, you know, um, I think that universal education should be readily available and that conversely you couple that with the idea that philosophy can save the world as you and as an individual as well, then 
what the fuck? What are you doing to change that? You know what I mean? So that's kind of the idea that I was fucking with here, right? And again, I'm so strongly convinced, yo, like I cannot emphasize this enough, that philosophy, it should be taught like at a primary school level. But obviously that's not the case, right? So um, the goal then moving forward for 2021, just to tie up this idea, is again, to find that balance between the two and try to provide it in such a way where it will make even, if, even the smallest change possible because I believe doing so will potentially be for the better. We're, we're in the age of Aquarius, dog. The, the sixth sun has dawned. You know what I'm saying? Whatever, the post-COVID world, whatever the fuck you want to call it, like, we're here, bro. And the goal, the point is, when you, you know, when you tie in this uh, not watch philosophy is like, we can change this shit, dog. You see me wearing the beads right here, the sacred beads, right? This particular one, um, I'm convinced it protects me from the negative energies, right? From bad news specifically, uh, the negative energy associated with the reception of bad news, okay? Um, and the reason I believe that is because it's part of... I mean, it's part of the indigenization. It's part of the Nahuatl thought process, right? That we as individuals, yes, we may be nothing more than these fucking, you know, entities that have been created by this Dale figure, right? But this Dale, not figure, force, I should say. Okay, apologize. Apologies for the, the poor language there. Um, and although we may not necessarily have free will in the terms of where, uh, you know, the, the Dale is just unfolding at its, at its own, you know, at its own whims, essentially, um, it doesn't mean that we personally can't help influence the change in the direction that it's going to flow. You know what I mean? This is the whole point of that podcast that I gave it, Dawn of the Sixth Sun, uh, explaining the ritual blood sacrifice of the of the of the, of the Mexica Tenoca people. You know what I mean? Why? Because they believe that they were actively influencing the rising and the and, and of the sun. Okay. So uh, and when you tie it into this idea, like, yeah, dog, you fucking have a role to play. We're in this fucking new era, and it can go one of two ways, dog. It's either going to go for the benefit and abundance of humanity, or it's not, you know what I mean? So which way it fucking inevitably goes is dependent on the actions that we personally take. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, this kind of gets us back to the whole point of, you know, what role are you playing? Like when it comes to the philosophy and, you know, I mean, thankfully for me, dog, in, in, in my four years of teaching, um, I've come to realize that again, you can either be part of the problem or you could be part of the solution. Right. And the only thing that I'm trying to problematize moving forward right, is these bullshit-ass practices and beliefs that do nothing more than hold us back as a collective human race, you know what I'm saying? Um, those are the only things that I'm trying to problematize. Um, anyways, so that's all just a fucking long-winded way of saying, what's up, dog? We're back. It's nice to see you, nice to hear you, nice to fucking speak to you, whatever the fuck um, we, are, we associate with this podcast shit, right? Um, I don't consider this, as I've mentioned before in the previous podcast, actually, <laughs> Um, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a unilateral, you know, uh, communication, I see it as in conversation with all you motherfuckers, even though obviously at this per current moment, I'm the only one talking. There's a lot of people that talk shit about how many podcasts are out there. But me personally, I think it's fucking beautiful because together we are facilitating a larger understanding of the collective human experience that is going to be necessary for us to be able to navigate our way into this future that we hope to establish as, you know, a community because that's what we are for better or for worse. You know what I mean? And it's through the discourse created by podcasts, I personally believe, of the many podcasts that are out there that we're going to get there. So even though I'm in this particular podcast speaking to you, chances are if you're listening to my podcast, you probably fuck with a lot of other podcasts that are similarly related to mine. You know what I mean? So there's no question then that the, the ideas that I have are influenced by them. So, you know, uh, I'm speaking to you, through you, and, you know, by these podcasts as well, just as much as, you know, um, you're listening to me. And then you're going to in turn go off and, you know, perpetuate the same cycle whether it be through your own podcast or just the simple, uh, or rather uh, just the conversations that you have with, you know, your, your everyday folk that you're surrounded by. That's what I'm, you know what I mean? So, um, again, just what's up? I'm just excited to be back and let's just get straight into the philosophy. Okay. Because at this point I'm just basically rambling. Right. And for this particular philosophy, given that it's the Christmas, it's the Christmas season, dog, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so let's take a moment to once again, 
Actually, it's pretty funny now that I think about it. The last time I talked about this motherfucker was around this same time too. So that's kind of a that's like a little weird little correlation. Um, and this motherfucker, of course, is Soren Kierkegaard, right? It's again, it's the Christmas season, Doc. So let's take a moment to give a quick little what's up to my favorite Christian philosopher, okay? Um, and specifically, I'm gonna talk about it through the lens of a fucking movie that I saw recently, a movie that I, I honestly fucking love, okay? In fact, I believe they should have left this fucking series at the end of this movie right here, but they fucked off and they made a fourth one and it was terrible. I'm speaking, of course, of Toy Story, specifically Toy Story 3, okay? Because <laughs> whether, you know, whether they intended to do so or not, I don't fucking know, man. But there's no question that Toy Story 3 is the epitome of much, of a lot of Kierkegaardian, not a lot of, one particular part of Kierkegaardian philosophy that I'm going to be discussing today. And that is the distinction, if you will, between the night of infinite faith and the night of infinite resignation, okay? Um, now... Before we get into it, just let me situate it really quickly, and I'll talk about this lady. Her name is... I'm not going to talk about her too too much, right? Just a quick little quote that she gives. You know, when you're trying to talk philosophy and science fiction, it's important to be able to, you know, at least set the foundation for the correlation between the two. And I'm taking the correlation here between specifically uh, theology, you know, the philosophy of religion, if you will, and science fiction, because that's the lens by which I read a Toy Story story, Okay. Um, and that is that this, this author, her name, for, just in case you're interested, is called uh, Farrah Mendelssohn, okay? And she's going to tell us that in, as far as the genre of science fiction is concerned, religion specifically, is it's seen less as a mode of thought and more of a, a lack of thought, okay? So science fiction obviously is the key word, science, dog. And, you know, science and religion, for the most part, they don't necessarily vibe because, well, it's the job of the latter. It's not the job, rather, but it's, it's a byproduct of the latter that the former seems to be or rather, uh, it's, a, it's a byproduct of the former that the latter seems to be, you know, slowly on its way out. Um, and so because of that, whenever we're reading a science fiction book or we're watching a science fiction movie, much of like religious discourse is kind of like just pushed to the side. It's not the central focal point. You know what I'm saying? And as far as Kierkegaard is going to be concerned, he's going to agree. He's going to agree full well with this, which is interesting because, as I just stated, he's a fucking religious philosopher, a deeply religious philosopher. You know what I'm saying? And yet, despite this, he's going to openly, you know, I mean, I can't, I can't speak for the motherfucker, but this is just my reading of this shit. You know what I'm saying? And I'll tell you like, yeah, he can't agree with this more. And the reason why is because for Kierkegaard, religion, or more specifically, faith, is beyond all thought, is beyond all critical thought, including that which comes to us through science, right? He's going to tell us specifically that faith, it must be attended to, not in a logical, rational sense, but rather in an irrational method in which one recognizes the absurdity of absolute faith being held in the fact of there being no physical proof from which it may be based upon, okay? So what I mean by that is like, simply, it, he's going to tell like many uh, many people who are, you know, scientifically inclined are going to want to openly state shit like, oh, well, science disproves uh, faith, right? And because of that, you have no reason to believe in faith and it would, uh, or rather, you have no reason to have faith and it would be absurd to do so. To which Kierkegaard's going to state, like, yeah, you're fucking absolutely correct. And it's strange because you don't imagine that a fucking Christian person would openly state this, but that's exactly what he's saying. Why? Because faith, according to Kierkegaard, is completely beyond anything that's rational. It is, in fact, absurd. And we're going to have the leap to faith, right? It's the absurdity. You would recognize the absurdity that there is no rational reason as to why you should have any sort of faith, and you take the leap to faith anyways, right? So... um, this leap to faith, essentially, it's this concept where you have to accept the inherent paradox of a material being, you, okay, if you're religious, 
um, believing in an immaterial substance such as God or me. I would tell, right? It's the same fucking thing, dog. <laughs> I'm a physical being believing in, you know, well, it's not really the same thing because, you know, immaterial substance is the nature of doubt, right? Okay, so to try to correlate them two would be to commit a giant fucking uh, uh, disservice to not watch philosophy. But, it, I mean, the idea basically remains the same, okay? Um, and that is that, you know, I could say that I know Theot exists because I am a manifestation of Theot, right? But the same, I'm sure, could be said for the Christian lens, even though they're going to read it just a little bit differently. Because unlike the Christians, I don't believe that I'm separate from the fucking divine, right? I am the divine manifested in human form, okay? Um, and as for you and everything else in existence, right? So, in coming back to this Kierkegaardian philosophy... Um, if we're going to accept this leap to faith, it stands to reason that there's nothing pragmatic about this, okay? We must make this leap to faith in hopes of attaining a higher plane of a spiritual existence, okay? But it is nothing more realistically than this final boundary he's going to tell us in a process through which Kierkegaard feels that all individuals can undertake throughout the courses of our lives. Um, now, I guess now that this has been introduced, we can start to actually start to see how uh, this starts to parlay a little bit or rather relate a little bit to Toy Story, right? And then specifically through the night of infinite resignation and the night of infinite faith, right? And these examples are demonstrative of the two main characters, Buzz Lightyear and Woody, okay? Now, uh, not only does it, it, I should just qualify this further, not only is it going to show us the proverbial uh, leap to faith, but it's also going to, you know, show the correlation between these two figures, right? And what I'm trying to say is, like, eventually, uh, one of them, specifically, Buzz Lightyear, is going to make the leap of faith, and he's going to solidify the absolute faith, I'm going to argue at least, that Kierkegaard believes, okay? And in doing so, you're, hopefully, if I do the job correctly, you're going to show how Soren Kierkegaard's Night of Infinite Resignation and Night of Infinite Faith, again... Uh, are manifested through his Toy Story story. <laughs> Toy Story story, right? Sorry for the awkwardness. I'm just trying to get through these notes here in a logical way. Um, anyways, <laughs> we'll talk first, right, about the evolution of the characters through Kierkegaard's cycle of existence, right? And it's, again, ultimately one that we're going to bear witness to the exact moment when the leap of faith is finally actualized. For those of you who have not seen Toy Story 3, let this be your fucking warning, okay? Like, spoiler alert, if you will, right? For those of you who have seen Toy Story 3, Follow along with me as we continue along this journey, right? So, actually, before we continue on our philosophical journey, we got to define some key terms, right? And the initial one being the night of infinite resignation. Um, now, according to Kierkegaard, this night of resignation, he's best, he's best rather, summated by the model of love, okay? And what he means by this is he's going to give us the example of a knight who is yearning for a princess, right? A princess whom he knows he may never have because of the way the class society is set up and shit, okay? And yet, despite the fact that he knows he'll never be able to have the princess, he refuses to let go of her, of the idea of being with her, and so on, right? Um, and this very idea has become the substance of his life, right? And through recollection, uh, Kierkegaard tells us, his love for the princess would take on an expression of eternal love, Right? It's a love that he'll never have, but this love has given his life meaning and purpose. And it's going to be, according to Kierkegaard, in terms of the night of resignation, resignation being a key word here, the expression of eternal love. Now, what that means specifically is that although his wish of being with the princess will clearly never materialize, this night of resignation is content. They're content in forever finding solace in her thought. Like, I may never be with her, but the thought of her brings me happiness and joy, okay? Now, 
This, according to Kierkegaard, concisely expresses a spiritual love for an infinite being that can never be taken from him. So that's he's kind of like making the correlation here by saying you have, the, instead of these knights, you have these Christian people, these people who call themselves Christian, at least. They're not real Christians, according to him, right? They're so not just Christians. I'm sure any other faith, but since he's a Christian and he's talking about Christians, and plus the fact that I got so much beef with Christianity, I have no problem fucking openly stating I'm not trying to fucking be nice with this one. It is Christian, okay? <laughs> but what I'm trying to say specifically, though, is that you can fucking parlay the example to other religious people as well. And the point that fucking uh, Kierkegaard is trying to make here is like, yo, you say that you have this love for this thing, but realistically, you're not really in love with the thing. You're in love with the idea of being in love with this thing, God. And that essentially is enough for you, okay, uh, to, to, to keep you going, okay? So accordingly, he's going to tell us more, moreover, I should say, that infinite resignation, is it, it's not bad, okay? In fact, it's good in the sense that it's the last stage of existence. You know, he's got three stages of existence, right? Um, and the third one is kind of broken up into two, so it's basically four, but it's the last stage before infinite faith, okay? So it's not necessarily bad in that respect in that he believes you are potentially close. There's no inevitability about it. It can go one way or another, but you're at least potentially to the point where you can make the leap to absolute faith, okay? Um, but he is going to tell us that anyone who has not made this movement, you don't really have real faith, bro. You are only basically in love with the idea the, the the idea of one day potentially being with the princess or the idea of the, the princess existing is enough to you know get you by um and what he's going to want is for people to take the leap to faith and that's where we find the knight of infinite faith right now as per Kierkegaard, he's going to tell us that this knight of faith is the same as the knight of resignation with the added step into the absurd that gives them the faith necessary to believe that regardless of what might happen his love or, you know, his love for the princess will actually, it'll be actualized in the material world. So you still have the same knight here, okay? But this knight has completely, he's taken the leap to faith. He's in the round of the absurd. He knows that despite all the social mores and conventions that would never see a princess married to a knight, if you will, that he will one day have the love of the princess reciprocated, right? Because he has full faith in this. There's no question about as to whether it's going to happen or not. And he walks each step in accordance to such belief. There's no second guessing according to this night of faith. They have complete and utter faith in God's existence. They have complete and utter faith in the God, the plan, if you will, that God has laid out. And they're going to act accordingly, uh, irrespective of what obstacle may come, completely unhithered, completely unswayed, completely without any sort of uh, doubt whatsoever, because they have absolute faith that it's going to be reciprocated, right? So you can see here a little bit earlier, uh, the parallel that I made between the, 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 a little bit, right? Where you say like, yeah, I know what my purpose is here, trying to find the balance between the two. And you walk confidently in that direction, knowing full well that irrespective of all the external obstacles that may present themselves, namely in the terms of, let's say, being a fucking philosophy major in a capitalist society, right? You have full fucking faith that doing so will be rewarded, okay? Um, and so when it comes to his Kierkegaardian character, this is, he's going to run, before I continue, I should state, I would be remiss not to, that he is going to run into a little bit of a fucking problem with this because you have all sorts of crazy ass stories in the Bible, namely that of Abraham and Isaac, where you have this fucking old man who by all accounts today would be fucking diagnosed with schizophrenia, who alleges to hear the voice of God telling him to sacrifice his child to him in order to prove his faith, Right. And uh, this word, Kierkegaard is going to call the fucking, um, uh, what the fuck is he going to call it? Give me one second. I got to remember this shit. Teleological suspension of the ethical. 
I am fucking not going to cut that part out because the, the, the struggle to recollect that thought was very fucking real. Okay. And I want to fucking immortalize it forever. Um, so I apologize for the dead air, but yeah, it's been a while. Um, yeah, the dog, the teleological suspension of the ethical. I've already spoken at length about teleologies, right? So the, the, the suspension of the ethical part is going to be here is where you have this perceived end goal. The end goal, of course, in the Bible simply being the reincarnation of God on earth or whatever, the fucking eternal paradise in heaven, in the kingdom of paradise or whatever, right? But and also in the immediate sense where you say this is a fucking test, okay, where God is allegedly telling his Isaac character that it is a test to kill his, fuck, or rather Abraham, that it's a test to kill his son Isaac in order to prove his fucking faithfulness to God, right? So uh, the, the teleology here, the end point here would be the ultimate sacrifice of one's child, which obviously fucking is terrible. And even according to the fucking Old Testament, which in itself is a fucking book that promotes genocide and fucking destruction basically in every page, right? But even for that fucking Bible, it's like, yo, this is very taboo. What the fuck are we doing here, okay? And this is something that Kierkegaard's going to want to fully state. Like, yo, I'm aware of this. Don't get me twisted, okay? I know full well the dangers inherent when you tell people that you're a knight of faith and that you must not question without any doubt or reservation at all what it is that God fucking asks of you because you have a purpose, you have a reason, and you must see that purpose through all the way to the very end because motherfuck just killing your own son that's how you get shit like the indigenous holocaust and the fucking west african slave trade because you have these european fucks who state that it's their fucking teleology and god's will to you know kill all the indigenous peoples and enslave all the west africans to which you state like okay well clearly that's not fucking true dog okay and all the actions that you committed are actually very well against the fucking faith that you use to justify your fucking atrocities right and Kierkegaard's going to acknowledge this as well, specifically with this one particular example of Abraham and Isaac, but he's going to call it the teleological suspension of the ethical. He's going to tell us this is one time, this one test of faith where you have to put aside all of this and examine it for what it truly was. Yes, God was stating that, you know, on one hand, you shouldn't fucking kill your own children. But on the other hand, he needed to fucking challenge this person to do so in order to prove his ultimate love, which is in itself a fucking dickhead toxic move, right? For this Abrahamic God to fucking put through people. But Kierkegaard's going to fucking tell us nonetheless that doing so was a necessary requisite in order to get to where they, Christian people, are, were at his time, but also are today, right? And that, you know, you follow the story along and say, ultimately, he didn't kill his child, right? The angel came down, fucking saved the day, whatever the case might be, right? But he does bring that, he does, he does bring that to light. He's gonna be aware of the fact that, yeah, I'm telling you that as a knight of faith, you have to fucking walk in undutiful in, in fucking, uh, 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 in direction to your ultimate goal without any sort of qualms whatsoever, but also kind of be aware that sometimes, you know, shit, you got to have some real, real one-on-one -on -one reflection with God before you fucking go off and do some crazy shit, okay? Now, um, to continue along this fucking uh, uh, night of infinite faith here, we have, again, that this person with the belief that the love that he has for the princess will be actualized in the material world, right? This night is further marked uh, by a detached existence, if you will, from worldly constraints, who he's going to tell us, Kierkegaard is, uh, acts with complete faith in God. Again, guided by the quote-unquote strength of the fact that God, that through God, rather, and that for God, all things are possible. This is Kierkegaard's quote, right? Now, as alluded to earlier, you can find examples of this all throughout Toy Story 3, dog. Specifically, uh, the first of which I should state at least being through Buzz Lightyear, okay? It's very clear who the Knight of Faith and who the Knight of Resignation is here, right? But let's delve into it a little bit more because, again, I don't know these motherfuckers are, are I wouldn't put it past them. Some, some smart motherfuckers up in Silicon Valley, you know what I mean? 
But um, I don't know if they purposely went out of their way to study Kierkegaard before they wrote the story, or they just came to the same conclusion that this motherfucker did. Either way, it's very impressive, okay? Um, so we had this Bud Light, this Bud Lightyear, <laughs> calm down, guy, this Buzz Lightyear character, uh, right? And having been introduced to him already in two previous movies, we've kind of grown accustomed to the characteristics that, you know, that define him, the traits that define him. He's uh, an astute, militaristic man, okay, who, regardless of any situation at hand, is going to always find faith in his training, the training that he's received as a fucking, you know, space, whatever the fuck he is. Now, even when he's faced with a difficult situation, this Buzz Lightyear character is going to manage to always continue to soldier on, okay? Not through some higher power, mind you, but through, again, a refined attitude of devotion to duty that demands he continue on his mission. Again, the correlations between the Christian person and the Knight of Infinite Resignation through Buzz Lightyear. You, Kierkegaard's going to tell us, you might think you're a Christian and you might fucking go through all the motions, even to the most extreme fucking uh, sense, right? In order to prove your devotion to this Christ-like figure. But you're really not doing so out of true faith. You're doing so out of a devotion to duty that demands you to do so. It's not fucking, it's not coming from within. It's not authentic, okay? Just, he's a, he's a existential philosopher. So authenticity is a huge fucking component for him. And he's telling you straight up like, yo, you're not driven by authenticity, dog. You're driven by a devotion to duty. Your authenticity can only be given to you through true fucking faith that you clearly don't possess, right? Now, uh, while there's no doubt that there's examples of this throughout the Toy Story series, it's just... In the third one, dog, like, fuck, they're on full display, specifically for Buzz Lightyear, okay? The one who remains consistent for the most part, again, until they fucking ruin it with the fourth one. I don't know, that's just, a, that was a shameless money grab. So we're going to exclude the fourth Toy Story from our fucking canon here because it was very evident that they just completely diverged from the story, right? From the, the, the core gist of the story, okay? Um, but I guess maybe that's a very, let's, let's try to give love a little bit of credit here, right? Where we'll state that maybe he gave it all love for love. Maybe. Who the fuck cares? But you don't build a character through a fucking entire story arc and develop him fully only to turn around and fucking completely betray everything that you fucking developed for one final fucking movie. Kind of like the Game of Thrones thing with Daenerys Targaryen. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, um, um, Woody, he's always been about that night of faith shit, all right? Since fucking Toy Story 1. Buzz Lightyear, on the other hand, he's the one that really goes through some... I mean... Woody goes through some character development in the first one, no question, okay? But once that character is established completely, like, he's rounded out, and that, that's his character, right? Buzz Lightyear goes through the phases, and it's pretty dope, actually, right? Now, one such example of this fucking Buzz Lightyear is that in the opening minutes of the movie, right, when it's revealed that he and his fellow toys are either facing a trip to the dump, right, or a lifetime confined to the attic, in both cases, he fucking dutifully resolves or resigns himself to the faith required of him, right? So what I mean by that is like, he's acting obviously as a second in command to Woody and he's seen less as a voice of reason and more as a galvanization, if you will, in the belief of Woody's claim that they will ultimately end up in the addict as their owner, right? Uh, goes off to college. So what I mean by this is he's not, he's not giving all the reasons why it's rational and reasonable for them to go up to the attic. Rather, he's just fucking galvanizing a faith that is not even his. The faith is Woody's faith, and he's just affirming it in order to, you know, put forth the, 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 the strength necessary to get others to fall in line with the duty expected of them. What is the duty expected of them? You have this owner, this creator, if you will, this godlike entity in your life, Andy, who has resigned you to a specific fate. And you have one of two ways of responding to it. You can either 
do as Woody does and act out of complete faith in this Woody, this Andy character and stay like, well, this is what's required of us and this is what we must do because I have faith that Andy will see us through to the end, right? As evident by that one quote where, you know, he's talking about maybe if we're lucky, Andy will have kids of his own one day. And then Rex says, and then he'll play with us. And then Woody responds, something like that, right? Because Woody knows, like, obviously he's not going to play with us, but the kids will. And I have faith in this because I have absolute faith in Andy, right? Buzz Lightyear don't got that, dog. What Buzz Lightyear's got is his sense of duty, and he's galvanizing the faith that Woody has and projecting it as his own in an effort to fucking get others to fall in line, himself included, with what is going to be required of them to potentially, not certainly, potentially, because this requires for Andy to have kids and for that for those kids to want to play with those toys, etc., right? That's not a given, okay? Um, unless you have absolute faith that it will happen, right? Like Woody does. But he's getting the others to fall in line to the potential that this might happen, right? There's no real faith on any of their behalf. How do we know this? Because, well, as the movie continues, we know that immediately the toys are like, man, fuck this fool. Not only is he going to leave us in the attic, he hasn't played with us, but now this motherfucker put us out on the curb to throw us to the dump. Like, are you kidding me? It's quite clear that this motherfucker don't love us, this motherfucker being Andy. And because of that, they don't, they're not demonstrative of any of the actual faith associated with, you know, that, that which Kierkegaard is talking about is inherent in the night of faith. Why? Because despite the fact that these motherfuckers are not being played with, despite the fact that these motherfuckers were going to be put in the attic, despite the motherfucking fact that these motherfuckers were going to be put on the curb to be thrown to the dump, or were put on the curb accidentally to be put on the dump, right? Woody has faith. He's going to tell us, like, no, dude, this is not, you got it all confused. The whole entirety of the situation is wrong. You have to maintain faith in fucking Andy, right? Now, This belief is quickly challenged, of course, right? Just due to the misunderstanding, he and his fellow toys, they find themselves on the curb to be collected by the garbage man, right? And going back to this Buzz Lightyear character, of course, he's going to act quickly and he devises the scheme to free them from the bag, right? And into safety before this fucking garbage truck arrives. Now, shocked, but obviously unwavered, he immediately surmises another plan to ensure the enduring cohesion of he and his friends, right? But again, it's important to remember that he's not acting out of faith. He's acting out of duty, the duty that he has to protect others, the duty that he has to maintain morale, to, uh, to uphold morale be, uh, among his comrades. You know what I mean? And uh, this is demonstrated best when they're fucking finally arrived to the daycare and Woody's like, yo, this is great. This is dope, but this is not the real shit. Okay. The real shit is in Andy's basement, this, you know, rather Andy's attic, if you will, a little world beyond the world that they've been existing in. Okay. It's world beyond Okay, um, this is not it right here. This is temporary. This is not real. We need to go back to the attic where we belong and wait for fucking Andy to come back. But of course, it's at this point where he loses even Buzz Lightyear because Buzz Lightyear decides that it's actually in the best interest of the toys to be taken to the daycare where they can not only remain together, but actually potentially have another master, if you will, another God, if you will, that will play with them which does nothing more than demonstrate an unabashed faith, not to God, not to Andy, but to responsibility. He's just doing his duty, dog, this night of resignation, okay? And he quickly finds comfort in these false hopes of the utopian fantasy of new ownership. And by doing so, he's demonstrating clearly the absence of the absolute faith in his kid, the hallmark of this night of resignation. 
Meanwhile, of course, Woody, he's initially attempting to persuade his fellow toys on the pleasures of being confined to the attic, right? For him, the notion of leaving his owner, Andy, it's not even an option as he operates in full accord to his faith in Andy, bruh. Now, this is quickly made evident when he finds himself trying to convince his fellow toys who have just returned, right, again, from not just the outing at the curb, but at the fucking daycare. He's trying to tell him, like, yo, this was a mistake. You're meant to go to the attic, not the dump. But unfortunately, he's obviously unable to convince them, okay? And um, he's put in the position now where he has to fucking choose between his duty to his friends and his commitment, his fucking faith in this godlike figure in Andy, right? Anyway, so like I'm saying, yo, this kid, this fucking dude, Woody, yo, he's got this fucking firm faith in this kid and not returning to Andy is just not an option, right? Uh, as clearly demonstrating the absurdity necessary of a knight of faith to believe that despite all the evidence to the contrary, namely that your fucking grown child now is there ever going to play with you, uh, his love for this young adult who is clearly beyond his youthful days of playing with toys will one day be reciprocated, that Andy will one day show his love for him once more, right? Now, uh, Woody's soon going to be faced with the difficult decision of returning to this kid or staying with his friends, which, of course, he's going to choose the latter because it's a solitary relationship, dog. The, re uh, the relationship that we have with God, essentially, is what Kierkegaard's going to tell us. It's the relationship with fucking bitch-ass microphones pissing me off for those of you who are watching it on the, <laughs> on the, live, on the video, I should state rather, right? But it's a, it's a solitary relationship, so it's going to require a fucking one-on-one -on -one commitment to God. Like, there's, it's just you and God, yo, right? The relationship between you and the fucking absolute. And inevitably, that's going to cause us relationship, not causes in the sense that we have to choose between the two, but you do kind of have to choose between the two because you have one half or one part of it that's trying to keep you from what it is that you love the most, namely God, Andy, whatever the case might be, right? So you might love your homies and shit, but if they're trying to keep you from this absolute, then inevitably the decision is going to have to be made. You know what I'm saying? So uh, it's only while he is away that be, both he and his fellow toys realize the error in both of their choices, right? And of course, after this brief reunion, they plot to escape from the nightmare that has become their daycare experience, which obviously they achieve, right? But of course, instead of being set free to their owner, a wrench is thrown in their plan as they are again thrown into the garbage truck, but this time to head to the fucking dump, okay? With a vindictive little bear to boot nonetheless, right? <laughs> now, it's in these closing moments of the film where we're going to find, find we're going to start to find the culmination of the plight between our characters, especially Buzz Lightyear Doc. Okay. Now, um, upon arrival to the dump, the toys, they find themselves in immediate danger of destruction. And true to form, both of the characters, which we've been focusing on up to this point, they act in accordance to their design designated labels. And then on top of that, you has, or I should say specifically, you had this recently on, I think Spanish mode buzz is probably one of the greatest things I've ever seen in fucking movie history, okay? That shit is just fucking hilarious when he's dancing all crazy, trying to fucking uh, seduce, if you will, the young the young cowgirl, the vaquera, right? <laughs> uh, that part, I just, it, that shit's fucking hilarious to me. I, I laugh just thinking about it, right? But you have this recently unbrainwashed Buzz Lightyear in his fucking Spanish mode, in this infinite resignation who soldiers on in, a, in an attempt to find safety for him and his fellow comrades, right? Despite the threat of impending doom at hand, because that's what this fucking soldiers do. That's what they've been fucking trained to do, okay? Now, conversely, we have Woody, who at this point can only be likened to a shepherd realistically, because that's what he's doing to all the fucking people, all the little toys that he finds himself surrounded with, right? He's shepherding them, and he's going to behave in the same manner, with the added motivation, of course, of reuniting with his kid. Now, 
ever the watchful servant, this fucking Woody character is going to risk his safety to save even that of the most seemingly fucking lost among the flock, if you will, to use the fucking Christian parlance. And that is lots of hugging bears, okay? Um, this act of valor, of course, however, is ultimately rewarded with Woody and the rest of the toys, I guess you could say, betrayal, as instead of hitting the shutoff switch for the ramp that the toys are on, it's going to drop them into this fucking fire pit, which obviously symbolizes, represents hell, Okay. Uh, the bear abandons them, right? And he tells them, he abandons them to this pit of fire that awaits them. And he even fucking goes so far as asking, where's your sheriff now, kid? Okay. As he makes his way out of the dump. So it's like a very clear fucking allusion to an atheist there. Or, you know, some false prophet that's, you know, selling out the peoples that, you know, who have uh, at one point given their faith into this bear, right? But, of course, you have... Two more powerful characters besides the fucking lots of hugging bears in the form of Woody and Buzz Lightyear. And that even though they are abandoned and without hope of salvation, even though they find themselves slowly descending into a pit of fire that can clearly, obviously, be said to be this allusion to the depths of hell, you know, death and everything that's associated with it, uh, you have this beautiful moment. I think it's beautiful, okay? Um, may or may not have cried the first time I saw it. Not gonna lie, a little tear in my fucking, in my eye. Okay, but uh, as the pan, as the camera is starting to pan away to different toys, we find the fear that is expected. Okay, in such an untimely demise in all of their faces, like they're all terrified. Okay, except for Buzz Lightyear, who is finally ready to make his leap to faith. This full character development is pretty beautiful, honestly. Okay, that's why motherfuck Toy Story four they ruined it. Anyways, looking around, this Buzz Lightyear character in a manner that can only be described. As a man who is having an epiphany, the initial shock is quickly fading away as he no longer attempts to soldier on, if you will. Uh, at any point prior to this in the Toy Story trilogy, because motherfuck the fourth one, right? If Buzz Lightyear would have found himself in this type of a situation, we're led to believe that he would have acted according to his military training, to his military fucking conditioning, and would have tried to find a way to fucking, you know, help him and his fellow toys escape the pits of hell that they're descending into. Okay, but that's not the case anymore. The, for the first time, this Buzz Lightyear, I mean, you could say that he gave up, but I'm not going to I'm not going to go so far as to say that he gave up because I don't think that's what happened. Um, he, he, he's no longer looking a soldier on. OK, uh, salvation at this point is an absurd notion. He realizes this. this fucking thing is at a steep incline. It's just it, he could maybe save himself, but everyone else like it's just it's just not going to happen. OK, Um and at this point, as the realization sets in, he's no longer attempting to overcome the situation at hand in a pragmatic, militaristic, dutiful manner, okay? Uh, instead of reacting in the way that we've become accustomed to in the previous installments, and at basically every point up until this in the third one as well, we see him cease trying to control the situation and embrace the faith that somehow, some way, he will be rewarded for all his actions. And it's at this point, of course, where he's made the leap to faith. He extends his little hand out, right, to his object, of the, the object of his affection, which the princess, okay, <laughs> um, Jesse, the vaquera, right? And then to Woody, of course, just, you know, to, to, to finish off the, 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 the trinity uh, as an affirmation of his belief in Andy, right? And in this calming gesture that's very atypical of Buzz Lightyear, his faith radiates to the rest of his comrades as they also began to embrace their impending doom. This is something that's usually typical of Woody. That's his position. He's been the one that said, everybody calm down. 
Everything's going to be okay. We just have to have faith. And this time, it's Buzz. And his calm is the one that's, you know, his his acceptance of the inevitability is what's causing the calm among his, you know, among his fellow toys. And as they begin to slide deeper and deeper into the pit of fire, obviously, a claw miraculously descends from the sky and, you know, saves them from the hell that awaited them, right? So it wasn't until they accepted their inevitable faith that the fucking salvation came and rescued them from the pits of despair, right? By the way, you should not lose track of the fact that it's aliens that save these motherfuckers, okay? This is something we should especially consider now that the revelation of the aliens is an almost inevitability at the, as we fucking wind down this crazy-ass fucking 2020, right? Anyways, uh, after the fucking alien toys, right? The alien toys, rather, who managed to escape the assembly line uh, that led the rest of what would have been, uh, or, or rather, saved the toys from the assembly line that would have been their inevitable death, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the claw finally delivers them to safety. And naturally, after this brief celebration, the toys once again embark on a journey in home in hopes of reaching Andy before he gets to college, right? Now, um, once they achieve this goal, obviously they are finally rewarded for their diligence by ultimately being granted their wish, having their fucking caring owner play with them once more, right? Now, this is obviously at the end where he's handing out the toys to the little girl and shit, Andy is... Um, as for Buzz Lightyear, not only has he completed his cycle of the Kierkegaardian existence, he's made the leap of faith, of, he's made the leap of faith and gotten the motherfucking princess, you know what I'm saying? Um, he's now primed to lead his fellow toys as their new knight of faith, okay? Because obviously Woody's going to go off to college, so there needs to be a replacement, right? That is, of course, until Woody has a change of heart and, you know, he stays behind or whatever the case may be, right? Which in and of itself doesn't necessarily detract away from the story because his faith itself is ultimately rewarded. Not just when, you know, he's played with, but I would say more subtly, more in more nuance, where Andy's like, yo, like this is my cowboy, like what the fuck? Like he 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 gives the little he gives Woody to the little girl eventually, right? But it's not until he has that Andy does that moment where he's like, yo, it's my childhood. I'm giving away my childhood here. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, the point is that through his trials, okay, we see how our characters actualize a level of existence that's, you know given to us by Soren Kierkegaard in his book Fear and Trembling. We have Woody, this knight of infinite faith. He not only operates free of worldly constraints in his quest to show his complete devotion to his kid, but also leads his fellow toys away from purgatory and with the help of Bud Light. Buzz Light, what is it? It's because when I was a kid, people used to drink Bud Light and even as a kid, I fucking hated Bud Light. So I made fun of it along with other people by calling it Bud Lightyear, right? We call people who drink Buzz Light or Bud Light or Buzz Lightyear, right? Because it's a fucking cheap little drink that doesn't even get you drunk. That's why I keep fucking saying it. So I apologize. That's my fucking past creeping into the present, okay? Anyways, you have this character who saved along with, you know, Buzz Lightyear, his fellow toys from the pits of purgatory and leads them into the hands of redemption. And alternately, and perhaps more importantly, you, we see Buzz Lightyear epitomize the philosophy of this leap to faith that Kierkegaard is talking about because through his actions he's going to embrace he does embrace rather the faith necessary according to Kierkegaard to live a life in which a person who loves God in faith reflects solely on God or in Buzz Lightyear's case on Andy right ultimately finding the absolute faith once held solely by Woody so yeah um <laughs> I guess that's about as good a point as any to fucking end this bitch, right? Um, a short podcast this week, right? But trust me when I say your boy's got plenty more cooking up in the process. What's one of the byproducts, the benefits, if you will, 
for having only uh, dropped one podcast in the last month and shit, right? But starting 2021, the goal moving forward, one week away from today, try it, well, from tomorrow, I guess, whatever the fuck, time isn't real, right? Is to try to pump these motherfuckers out more consistently. But um, until then, I hope you all enjoyed this motherfucker. And I hope you all have a great rest of your day, week, however long it is before we're back up in this bitch. And I will see you then. Peace.